Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapaknas. I want to welcome you to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapaknas believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapaknas is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapaknas to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknas.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Well, at the heart of it all, what is your story? Now, does anybody remember that I was at this church before? I was dressed a little differently a couple of years ago when Matthew first became commissioned as chaplain in the Army National Guard. Your state of all, I had a chance to visit with you, my wife and I, as he was sworn in as a as a chaplain in the state of Ohio. And uh, Matthew has a great opportunity in the, the year ahead to make an impact on, on soldiers' lives like never before. Now, a little bit about myself. My name is Dan Burris. Uh, my wife and I have served in pastoral ministry for 27 years in the... Church of the Nazarene. So I pastored in Sunbury, Ohio, but Dayton and Van Day, Church of Nazarene down in Fairfield in Cincinnati. Before in 2019, uh, Major General Harris asked me if I would come to Columbus, Ohio full time and serve as a state chaplain for the National Guard and be responsible for about our 40 chaplains we have across the state of Ohio that serve in the National Guard. And what a privilege it is to have that opportunity to serve our young man and uh, the first female chaplain that's going to be sworn in next month. As a part of the guard, and she's deploying also with the part of the brigade that Matthew's going to be with. So pray for her on her first deployment also. But the privilege of serving with you and to be with you today. And over these years, I had just been blessed by the Church of the Nazarene. My father was a Nazarene minister. My grandfather was a United Methodist and a Nazarene minister. So I have that Nazarene heritage in my blood. If you heard me singing the hymns this morning, I knew them all without the words. So yes, just growing up in that pew. As a young child, I remember those days. So what a blessing it is. Well, at the heart of it all, what is your story? I have some pictures for you today. I was able to be up and visit with Matthew this last week up in Grayling, Michigan, before he left there. But there he is working hard, right? His wife's saying, I've never seen him with a broom in his hand before. But no, uh, that is in the base of the Post Chapel at Grayling, Michigan, where all the chaplains and the religious affairs specialists came together. We had a chance to talk. And there's Matthew with his trusty religious affairs specialist, used to be called a chaplain assistant, that these two young men will be together this next year, have an opportunity to minister to the cavalry. Now that's a little close to my heart because in 2004, I deployed in the same spot Matthew's deploying in as the cavalry chaplain and went to Kosovo in the Serbian and Albanian conflict and had a chance to serve in 2004. Now Matthew has a chance to put that Stetson on and uh, leave those cab soldiers to Christ and just have a powerful impact. And this young man, Specialist Plyman, I think is 22 years old, is having a chance to serve with him. And so pray for those two young men. They're going to have a tremendous impact. You don't know, ministry as a chaplain on a deployment is incredible. When I was in Kosovo, I baptized, I think, 15 soldiers that year uh, while that time in Kosovo. So it is a time of a field of harvest that I know Matthew is not going to be here with you during this year, but he is going to be serving God every single day and impacting lives. And I sure thank you for your willingness to support him and his family, especially where they're gone this year. They just be there for Kristen, overwhelm her with love and prayers and support and meals and 
child care maybe huh would that be a good one <laughs> and some child care to let her get out and maybe have a girl's night out so she can be have an evening to recoup also brought a picture of all uh, the, the the 37th infantry brigade combat team is what cat what uh, matthew serves under the cab and this is there's 12 six chaplains and six religious affairs specialists that'll be deploying together uh, of course i myself in the back there won't be going uh, the tall guy who's to my right is also a Nazarene pastor. He is on the North Central Ohio District at the Ashtabula First Church of the Nazarene. My wife and I will be there on October 9th to preach in uh, Sean's church. But, so we've got two Nazarene guys as a part of this great unit. One of the chaplains wasn't able to be there, and one of the chaplain affairs specialists is off in his training. But that's the group Matthew is going to have the chance to deploy with this next year and serve with. Just a great group, great opportunity, so pray for them as they have a chance to minister this next year. Well, I have another picture for you. Maybe you might have a little clue a little bit. Do you, you know who these guys are, okay? Take a close look at the pictures here, and I'll help you out maybe if I take my glasses off. Any idea who that might be? Yeah, it's a little Danny, kindergarten, adorable. Any idea who this little guy is? Come on, who knows though? No family answers. Anybody have a idea who this is? Pass that's Matthew. Look at him in his little suit and tie. Doesn't he look adorable? Yes, there he is, his kindergarten picture. I asked him for that, and he, he sent it to me, so I was thankful he did uh, his kindergarten picture there. But I put that up there because maybe you have read the book or heard about the book called All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Isn't this so true? And in this book, it talks about let's share everything. Let's play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Amen. Clean up your own mess. Praise the Lord. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when somebody hurts you, when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you are the people that say, I don't flush at night because it might wake me up? Oh, I have a daughter that does that. Oh, my. Yeah, flush. Uh, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Do you remember, did you have milk time at kindergarten? I did. When, oh, my favorite time when they brought the chocolate milk in. Take a nap, hey, praise the Lord, take a nap every afternoon. You know, it's fun in preschool and it's fun in retirement, right? Take a nap every afternoon, <laughs> correct. All right, when you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. That's great advice, isn't it? Sticking together. In the military, we call it a battle buddy. And that's what Matthew and his chaplain says this will be this next year, sticking together as they minister. Well, not only in kindergarten do we all learn all we ever need to know, but I think spiritually in Sunday school. Do you remember Sunday school? Being a little child in Sunday school? I loved Sunday school as a little kid. I loved vacation Bible school. But in that, I learned these simple truths, that God created you. God loves you. God wants to be part of your life. God is holy. God redeemed you. God is with you, and then God's plan is exceedingly, abundantly more for you than you ever imagined. The basic truths of life, that it's not that hard, it's not that difficult, all we ever needed to learn in life, we, we learned in the basics of Sunday school. Well, do you have someone in your life that asks you a question they already know the answer to? Do you remember as an employee going into your boss's office and they ask you a question about something and you without a doubt know that they knew the answer and you're wondering, why are they asking me that question? They know the answer. Why don't they just tell me? But they were testing you, right? They wanted to know what the answer was. Here's an even better one. Why do women ask us men questions? 
that they already know the answer to. Okay, ladies, here's a lesson for you today. Do not walk into the room with your husband and say, how do I look? All right? That's a loaded question. Give us a little hint of what we're supposed to answer on that question, okay? Because if you like the dress, you need to say, I love this outfit. How do I look? Oh, yes, dear, you look outstanding. Or, I'm not sure about this dress. It doesn't, I don't think it's quite right. Honey, you're right. Your figure is so much better than that dress. Don't be wearing that thing, all right? So help us a little bit with those things. But why are people always asking questions that perhaps they already know the answers to? Well, Jesus faced that one day when he was out teaching. There were some religious people, religious leaders. The religious leaders were the experts in the Jewish law. Now, if you're raised as a Jewish person, you studied the Torah, the first five books of Moses. You learned those first five books of Moses. And there were these experts of the law who spent their lives studying the first five books of Moses. And not only that, but the 610 laws that the Jewish people had established out of the first five books of Moses for the Jewish people to live their lives. And these religious leaders were like... Nobody knew what they really did, but they just studied the law, kind of like a pastor. You ever wonder what pastors do during the week? <laughs> religious leaders, that what do they do during the week? Well, these religious leaders come to Jesus. They're experts asking the man who they really doubt is a rabbi or even a good teacher, and they ask him a tremendously difficult question. They ask Jesus a question meaning to try to... Ch- to trip him up. They wanted him to look, in fact, look stupid in front of everybody else. So they could knock Jesus off his little throne that the disciples have put him on and are following him for. They wanted to trip him up and make him look foolish. And they ask him a question that is like a basic question, but is really the most difficult question that you could ever ask a Jewish rabbi. What is the most important of all of our laws? Because if Jesus could answer this question, he could write a book, sell it, and retire. Because this is what the Jewish religious leaders are trying to figure out. Out of all our 610 laws that we have established, what is the most important law that we should be following? And so they asked Jesus this impossible question in Matthew 22, 36 to 40. And here's how it goes. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Drop the mic. Jesus just nailed it, right? Post that, hashtag it. Like it, whatever you want. Jesus not only answered the first question, which is the most important of all the commandments, but Jesus went on and told him what would be the second of all the greatest commandments. Why have we made religion so difficult? Have you noticed that? Why have we made our Christian faith so difficult? The Jewish people had made it so complicated on the Sabbath day, people were confused about how many steps they could take on the Sabbath. And so people would start building fences, not just around their house, but around their 
son and daughter's house that lived a couple of houses down to make their house a little bit bigger so they could walk more steps on the Sabbath because they were actually walking in their house and not outside of their house so they could do more steps. It was confusing. Can I wear two, can I wear an outfit that's fabric, is weave with two different types of thread? For a Jewish person, they struggled. If it's raining on Sabbath, am I allowed to open my umbrella or not? And we can kind of snicker a little bit and laugh about all these commandments and laws and think, wow, that's ridiculous. Look at those. They're making fun. They're making life so hard with all these things they're trying to do, all these laws they're trying to meet. Uh, but we, too, have done the same thing, haven't we? <laughs> Not just Christians, but maybe even in Church of the Nazarene, too, haven't we? I mean, as Christians, we could start asking the question, should I worship on Saturday or Sunday? Hmm. Do the Seventh-day Adventists have it right that Sabbath is Saturday, or do I worship on Sunday because that's the day the Lord was raised from the dead? What do I do? Do I read the King James Version, the New King James Version, the ESV Version, the NASB Version, the NIV Version? What is the best version that I should read? You want to start a riot, go to the Southern Baptist Convention and walk in there and tell them that the NASB is more accurately translated the Word of God than the King James Version, and they're going to stone you and probably throw you out of there because why? We debate so much about which translation of the Bible is most accurate and correct that we should be using. Should I go to Sunday school or be part of a small group? If I'm part of a small group, do I have to go to Sunday school? If I have to go to Sunday school, should I be a part of a small group? I mean, why can't you do them both? I mean, we have taken our faith and made it so, so complicated. I was stressed about not wearing a jacket this morning. I was like, I should wear, wear I'm going to church. I should wear a jacket. But Pastor Matthew said not to wear a jacket, so I didn't wear a jacket. Faith has just become so complicated, hasn't it? It is so complicated, but Jesus spoke these words and made it so simple for us. This is what it's really all about. It is so simple. And this morning, this might be the simplest message you've ever heard in your life, but that's how God has made it. We know that in the beginning, what did God do? God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form or void. And he spoke it into existence. And he made a garden called Eden. And they say it's in the Middle East, but I'm sure people of Wapakoneh would say it's right here, right? This is where the Garden of Eden originally was, Wapakoneh, Ohio. But in that garden, God put to all the animals and put this trees and several other trees and there was one tree Adam wasn't supposed to eat from but he placed him in the garden and Adam named all the animals in the garden and Adam was the only man imagine what the world would be like if there were only men <laughs> that's right t-shirts would be our dress of the day. Sleeves, unnecessary, of course. Toolboxes would house the kitchen utensils and grills would be in every kitchen, right? Fire up the grill to cook our food. You know that? Men, a life. But God realized that there was a problem. Adam recognized there's nobody like my kind in the garden. And so we know what God did is he saved his best creation for last. Right, ladies? And he created this beautiful woman to be there with Adam and called her Eve. We have Adam and Eve together, two people together in a garden, but not alone. 
there was the very presence of God was with them in the garden. Do you remember this? Reading in the book of Genesis, in the cool of the day, it says, the Spirit of God walked with Adam and Eve. Amazing. Adam and Eve in a garden together, walking with God alone. All they had to do was to, they loved each other and they loved God. That was the sole purpose of it in the garden. Loving each other and loving God together in that garden of Eden. You can imagine the beauty of that. Think about that. Come on, let's maybe admit that a lot of us would think, what would be paradise? Paradise would be walking the beach in Hawaii with my spouse, holding hands, and just enjoying God's beautiful creation together. Is, have you thought about that, ladies? My wife thinks about that. She wants me to take her to Hawaii, I know. Maybe I'll do it someday, but that's her dream. That would be paradise. Honey, us just walking hand in hand along the beach, enjoying the beauty of God's creation. No other concerns in the world. Well, I mean, that's not a surprise that that's kind of our heart's desire because that's what God intended and created. He put Adam and Eve in the garden together. All they, had, all they were just simply loving each other, looking at each other and loving God. That is all they were doing. Paradise. That's why, deep in our hearts, we desire that because God, God created us for that, to be in loving relationships with one another and a loving relationship with God. That's how simple it is. But we know that wasn't the end of the story, was it? Because along came the tempter and put these thoughts in their minds that, wait a minute, God's holding back something on you, right? There must be more that God has that he's not letting you have. There's some fun out there and good times that God's not telling you about, and he's holding back something from you. It's like our kids. Along may come a friend that even though their mom and their dad and their teachers and everyone has told them that, that drugs are bad for them, there's this one friend that comes along and says, Hey, there's this great feeling you get. You know, mom and dad are trying to keep you from experiencing something amazing. Your teachers, they really don't know anything. You should try this drug. It'll make you feel great. And we know the deception of that. The only thing those illegal, illicit drugs will do is give you life addictions, rotten teeth, financial destruction, broken relationships. But they try to make them look so pretty, don't they? But we know as mature adults that that's a lie of Satan. That We can't be deceived by that. But what happened was Adam and Eve fell for it. They truly believe the lie that there's something better in life that is apart from God. And so what happened? They stopped looking to God for everything because they thought God was holding back. And they also stopped just looking at each other and began to look at themselves. Come on, you've, you've seen the Adam and Eve Garden of Eden pictures, haven't you? I, you've seen the post-sin Adam and Eve pictures because they couldn't show you the real pictures of Adam and Eve because before sin came, Adam and Eve were, can I say it in the church? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, they were that. They were that. They were without clothes. And before sin came along, it wasn't a problem. Why? Because they were so in tune with each other, they didn't even look down. They weren't even aware of their own condition until what happened? Until sin came, until selfishness came. And then what did they begin to realize? Oh, 
I'm naked, I better cover myself up. Shame came. They recognized themselves, and then they, they hid from the presence of God. And then, instead of just loving each other, what did they begin to do? They began to blame each other. When God came along, what did Adam say? Lord, it was the woman, right? He was protecting himself. All of a sudden, instead of his only job being loving God and loving Eve, he now loved himself and wanted to protect himself and wanted to take care of himself. And so it's not my fault, Lord. I'm the okay when it's her. But Adam didn't stop there, did he? What else did he say? It was her, the woman you gave me. Ah, oh, Lord, it's just not my fault. It's the one, it was, you, you gave me to her, Lord. It's her fault. You see, not only has Adam blamed Eve, but he's blamed God for his sinfulness. And because of that, we know what happens. That God is holy. And God didn't leave them. They were cast from God's presence, right? They were cast from God's presence because God is a holy God, a just God. And sin, destruction, death can't be in his very presence. And so he casts them out of the Garden of Eden from the presence of God, living and abiding in them and with them. Think about that. They were separate from the presence of God. Well, in the Old Testament, we have God making a path, trying to, to solve this. So in the Old Testament, God brings up this man named Moses, right? Moses is the one who leads them out of their time in Egypt. Joseph took them there to save them through the famine. For 400 years, they're in the land of Egypt. They've grown so mighty, they become slaves to Pharaoh. They have forgotten who Joseph was and what he did for the Egyptians. And now they have to bring, God brings this guy Moses up, who's raised in the house of Pharaoh, even though he is a Hebrew himself. And Moses leads God's people out of Egypt, and God gives Moses ten commandments, things that if you're in a relationship with God in one another, because remember the first four commandments are, if you love God, this is what you'll do. The last six commandments, if you love one another, here's what you'll do. So he got his shaping in them what they needed, that loving God and loving each other. And so he gives them the ten commandments, but what's the problem with the ten commandments? Where are they at? They're the speed limit sign along the highway. How good is a speed limit sign along the highway, huh? Hmm? Come on. Hit your mate if they're a speeder right now. Because the speed limit sign along the highway is as only as good as the person who sees it and interprets it in their own heart to obey it. Am I right? Yeah. 33 was closed as I came up this morning. We got cut through Marysville and I drove three over the speed limit to get here i failed no but you know that right the the, the ten commandments a, a speeding sign it, it's outside of us it was on tablets of stone was the problem there and if something is on the outside of us it's not really going to help us until we can internalize it and bring it in but the problem was sin is in the heart of man and so god's presence can't be with the heart of man but he sent this thing called jesus the christ the son of the living god who died on the cross to forgive us our sins why so that god once again could come back into our lives think about that for a moment any of you know the know the old testament you remember you remember when the high priest would go into the temple 
Remember the temple had a bunch of different courts in it, the, the court of the, of the Jews and the court of the men and the court of the priests, and then there was the center court, the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the high priests would get to go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the Jewish people. Remember this? And they would even maybe tie a rope to the guy's ankle because if he went in the presence of God, he might die, right? Because man could not be in the presence of God. But once a year, the priest was allowed to go in the Holy Holies that they would be experiencing what? The presence of God, that the priest would be with God in God's presence, all right? And that only once a year. Now, what happened the day Jesus died on the cross? You tying it together here a little bit? There was an earthquake, right? The earth shook when Jesus said those last words. It is finished. The earth shrimpled and it shook. And what does the New Testament say happened at that moment? The temple veil was torn in two. Not just an accident of an earthquake, but a very symbolic thing of God telling us that no longer do I abide in your presence one day a year when one person can go and experience the presence of God. But because sin is atoned for... God's presence can actually now live within the hearts of lives of his people. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible that, that God did something to try to restore what was broken so many thousands of years ago that through the Old Testament he worked through his Hebrew people, the Jewish people, to bring about once again a restoration where you and I could live our lives in the very presence of God. If you've not studied the Jewish faith, it's really interesting. They have a lot of different festivals. These are seven of the most significant festivals they have. But, but one of these festivals, look how this ties together. You know what Passover is, right? Remember I told you about Moses. Remember he took the people out of Egypt. God did the ten plagues. You remember the ten plagues? You want to name them? Okay, me neither. All right, so they got the ten plagues that get brought over. But what was the last plague? The plague of death, Right? And the angel of death was going to come over Egypt, but everyone who had what? The blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over, and death would not occur, but life would be given. Got it? Think about Palm Sunday. What's happening Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday, all the Jewish people are bringing their lambs into Jerusalem to go before the priests to be inspected to see if they're pure and holy. And who wraps up the parade? Jesus comes riding into town on a donkey. Remember what John the Baptist called Jesus when he first saw him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't God amazing? Isn't it amazing that this Old Testament symbol where the blood of the Lamb was spread on the doorpost, that death would not come, that life would be the hope of the, of the people, of the Hebrew people, that very day when Jesus came in, Lamb's Day, he comes marching into Jerusalem, and all the Jews are looking at the spotless lambs that will die, but all the disciples and the followers of Jesus are remembering John's word, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's one amazing thing, that sin could be taken from us by the blood of Christ. The next great celebration in the Church of Nazarene, we celebrate this two, day too, the day of Pentecost. The Jews are celebrating the day that God, remember, remember he gave the law to the people, right? The, the law of the people, the Moses, all right? And so the Jews are celebrating the day of Pentecost, celebrating God giving the law to the people. But you've got to think back to the Old Testament promise of Jeremiah. 
when God said, I will pour, put my law where? On their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you see what the good news of our Christian faith is? Is that God just doesn't give us speed limit signs out there and hope we see them and obey them. No, God has promised he is going to come and abide and live in our hearts and our lives and he will be our guide and our direction. Do you get this? That we're supposed to love God with all our heart and love each other. That's what God intended. Sin caused a problem with that. So what did God do? He took care of the sin problem so God's presence could be with us. And then he took care of the obedience problem by promising us to give us the power of the Holy Spirit that we could walk in obedience with God. Guess what God was doing? And guess what God has done and is doing right now? It is God's desire that we would experience this. That once again... What God could do in us and for us is to bring us to the place where we can love God first. And as we experience the love of God, then secondly, we can love one another as God intended. That relationships are, it's for me, I want this, I gotta have this. No, it's, I love you, and I will serve you, and I will care for you. And together we will experience this thing God intended us to have. Now, as a chaplain in the military, you get to experience all sorts of faiths. I spent sat down with religious leaders in different countries around the world as my chaplaincy ministries, and I have learned about so many different faiths around the world. And these faiths, they all have these things that you must do these five things to be good, or you must be sure to obey these seven things, or you must do this three times a day, or you, must, you might receive a reward if you... Do you have some friends or coworkers that are of different faiths that they have all these rituals they have to do because they must do it and that it might give them a reward of some sort? But look at Christianity. Christian faith is so different and so powerful. God says, I got this. I love you. God says to us, I created you. God says to you, I redeemed you. God says, I want to be part of your everyday life. In fact, I will live with you. I will bring you such peace, strength, grace, love, power, purpose, plan, fulfillment, on and on and on. In fact, Paul wrote, no eye has seen or ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. This is the greatest place to live and be. We have complicated our Christian faith so much that we wonder, what am I supposed to do next? How do I do this? What do I do? Where do I go? What do I say? What do I wear? What? And God said, you know what? I want you to love me first. And when you love me first and you experience my love it will enable you and be an example to you and empower you then to love others. Angie and I have five daughters, two sons. <clears throat> and so used to be years ago, I thought, five daughters. I wish it was the Old Testament time where boys had to bring me like lambs and bulls and stuff to get my daughters to marry. I don't know about this American thing where the dad has to pay for it. But uh, I used to pray. Lord, please send my daughters rich and smart guys, right? But then I matured and got a little wise. 
And now my prayer is, Lord, send my daughters men who love you wholeheartedly. Nothing else matters. Because if a man loves you wholeheartedly, he will love my daughter the way you intended him to love her. And that's the wholeness of life, folks. Do you understand it? Your spouse will never complete you. That's Hollywood's theme. God completes you. Your job will never give you enough money to satisfy you. Because as Rockefeller said, how much money does a man need? One more dollar. It's never enough. Men, a beautiful woman won't satisfy you. Women, a handsome man won't satisfy you. You see, that's the problem. Is our world is deceived and fooled and chasing things that they think will complete them and fulfill them and satisfy them. But God did not create stuff to satisfy you. God created you to be in a relationship with him. Do you understand that? That is the one thing God has done. He created you to be in a relationship with him, period. That's why it doesn't matter if you live in a hut in Africa or if you live somewhere in Japan. Or It doesn't matter what ethnicity, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic place you find yourself on the ladder. The, the thing is, God created you to be in a relationship with you. And when you get that settled, do you understand that it settles everything else? That's all that matters. I can serve God with all that I have because he first served me and loved me. So now I can serve God with all my heart because I have seen my God's example and God has fulfilled, filled me with his Holy Spirit and his power that I can serve him. And you know what? I can even serve my enemy because my self-esteem and my life worth doesn't come from what they say about me. It comes from what God said about me who thought so much of me that he came and wanted to restore in me what he meant from the very beginning and took away my sin through the blood of Christ and brought his Holy Spirit to live and abide in my heart every single day. My friend, you will spend your life chasing houses, cars, women, men, money, satisfaction, and you will always come up empty if you haven't figured this out. But you know what? Once you have come into a personal relationship with the God of the universe, once you have experienced his love, and God has not only forgiven you of sin, but begin to, begin to do that work of entire sanctification in your heart, where that bent towards sin, where you're bent towards self, and God begins to bend that up once again, that no longer am I selfish about myself, but I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it enables me to love my neighbors, even if they're mean people, as I should. Have you found that place in your life? Honestly? Can you honestly say that, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul has satisfied? Have you been searching all your life for satisfaction and contentment? You see, I don't need one more dollar. 
I don't need one more house. I don't need one more job. I don't need a nicer car. It don't matter. All that stuff is sweet and nice and just puts icing on the cake because I have found a relationship with my creator that brought me back to what I've always desired, that I would know my creator and be satisfied and whole and complete as a person. Then, and only then, can I enjoy the opportunity to love my wife as God intended it. And that dream we have of walking down the beach in Hawaii, holding hand in hand and just loving each other, doesn't have to be a one-time-in-a-life honeymoon. It can be an everyday experience of a life together. Because I'm full and satisfied and complete in Christ, and I have experienced God's unselfish love to me, now I am empowered to fully give that same love to not only my wife, but to others around me. Have you experienced that? Cheryl's going to come and just play some music on the piano as we close in prayer today, but I do honestly want to pray for you. I, I thank Pastor Stephen for having the willingness to allow me to come without really knowing me personally and to preach at your church today. I pray that you'll continue to remember Pastor Matthew in this year ahead, that he'll just have a powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit, that he'll lead a lot of soldiers and say, you know what, I know you've been looking Maybe even put the uniform on because you thought that'd be a tough guy thing to be in the military. No, it, it's all found in Jesus Christ. My soul is satisfied. And I'm fulfilled in God. And because of that, now I can love not only my wife, my spouse, the way I should, but I can love everybody. Because it's God's love that fulfills me, that allows me to love others. And really experience complete in full satisfaction. Let me pray for you. Lord, we pray today that you would guide us and direct us. Lord, perhaps the trials of other nations are people have to watch their children not get fulfilled with food. Sadly, we know there are parents around the world today that might even watch their child starve to death today and they face such trials and difficulties with just the daily needs of things. Lord, in America, it's totally opposite. Our temptation is, Lord, we are given so much before us and laid out before our eyes, all these things the world has to offer. But Father, we forget that none of that will really satisfy us. It's just a temptation to pull us away that we would somehow think that the God who created us would be holding something back from us, that there's something better in this world than a relationship with our Creator. Lord, why have we fell, fallen for that temptation? Why have we been deceived thinking that somehow something else could somehow fill the place that was meant to be filled by you and you alone? Lord Jesus, I pray today for someone who's been living apart from you, that, Father, your Holy Spirit and your Word hasn't been able to come in and abide with them because they have been believing the lies of Satan. They have been walking in a way that is not honoring you. And, Lord, today they just need in their hearts right now to admit, Lord, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry, God, that I have been living a life that I thought somehow could be better than walking with you. Lord, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me, Lord, for thinking there's something greater than you God, 
Through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am thankful that the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world, has now taken this curse of death out of my heart, and I have no, now can know forgiveness through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And not only that, Lord, your Holy Spirit isn't just something that some high priest experiences once a year, but Lord, you have promised that you would come and live and abide in my heart and soul that you would show me love, that you would show me direction, that you would lead my life every day, that your word would come alive to me, that praising you would mean so much to me, Lord. Thank you that you can come and I can experience you. Let me, Lord, each and every day live the life that simply loves you with all that I have and then allows myself to love others as you've intended me to love them. Thank you, God, for the great miracle that you want to restore in us what you meant from us from the very beginning, that we could just love each other, enjoy the family of God, and enjoy a relationship with you. So, Lord, give us that infilling this day. Meet every need of our heart and our life and our soul, that it might be found in you, Lord, that we would trust in you and you alone to give us fulfillment and to give us hope in this life. Lord, bless this church. In the days ahead, may it be a light continually to this community of Wapakoneta. May it be a symbol of hope. And may everyone here today as they leave this place go as a light of love, a light of fulfillment, a light of hope as we praise you for what you've done for us. We thank you once again for this great chance to be together today as the body of Christ. And we look forward to your continuing work in us and through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we pray together. Amen and amen. Well, what a privilege it has been to be with you today or this next year. Is there ever anything I can do for you to support you as a congregation? Please let me know, and especially as uh, we can support Matt's wife here to bless her through this year. Let me know, because we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God who are walking and serving with him. Let's stand together this morning, and let me just say the benediction for you, and then we can head off and enjoy the rest of our day as we love each other, as we have experienced the love of God. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's grace be with, be with you. May his face shine upon you in your going and your coming, now and forevermore. Amen. Lord be with you, and thanks for being here today. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.